0: Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Mr. Rob O'Hara. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Dragon's Lair. Did you know that there is another Dragon's Lair movie, possibly in the works? You'll find out the details later on in this episode of Sprite Castle. But before we start talking about Commodore 64 games, we're gonna cover the news in this week's Paperboy Headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Sprite Castle. We're a couple days late here, but uh, I'm finding that the video version of podcast takes a lot of preparation time. So I have not decided in the long run if that's going to be worth it or not. I'm going to have to keep following uh, YouTube and checking out the view numbers and see how things go. And speaking of YouTube... If you want to check out uh, episodes of Sprite Castle, they can be found at youtube.com forward slash retro gaming. There are two different playlists there. One for Sprite Castle podcasts. I guess those are video casts. And one for Sprite Castle game videos. So you can go check out Sprite Castle play videos over there. Again, that's over at youtube.com forward slash retro gaming. The video version of You Don't Know Flack is being uploaded to youtube.com forward slash Sprite Castle. So just so you keep that clear, Sprite Castle is not on Sprite Castle, and not Sprite Castle is on Sprite Castle. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, but all these shows are recorded on Twitch, and so if you want to watch them as I record them live, go to twitch.tv forward slash Rob O'Hara. You could click follow. That's completely free, and you will get notifications when I go live. Uh, I've been recording the show earlier on Mondays, sometimes on Thursdays, and then Wednesday night around 7 o'clock Central Time. I do some gaming. Usually it's Commodore 64 games, but sometimes it's arcade-style games, so it just depends on what's what's uh, been on my mind, what I've been wanting to play lately. I've been trying to save stuff till Wednesday night to play. So, Uh, again, that stuff is on Twitch TV. And then, of course, all my podcasts are always available through podcast.robohara.com. I like to preload the show with lots of links to my own stuff. (laughs) That's the end of the show. (laughs) It's just a show full of my own plugs. I got some feedback on the previous episode of Sprite Castle, the previous episode I played Dr. Do, and boy oh boy, over on the Amigos Discord did I get a lot of feedback where people ranked uh the versions of mr do from their favorite to least favorite again the uh, amigos discord is available for uh, patreon supporters so if you support the show on patreon it's uh four dollars well i don't want to get into the plug so i'm gonna plug it again in a little bit but it's four dollars a month which is basically one dollar per episode and you get a million little things but one of the things you get is access to the amigos discord and uh I was very surprised at how low most people rank Mr. Do's Wild Ride. I think when I talked on the show, that I said it was my second favorite, and a lot of people put that next to last. Some people put it dead last. But I think one of the reasons why I enjoyed that game as a kid is because there was a port to the Commodore 64, and so those were the only two Mr. Do games I knew. So the other Mr. Do games were, were new to me. So uh, maybe it's that nostalgic factor that that made me rank that so highly. Uh, the uh, common denominator on almost everyone's list was the Neo Geo version of Mr. Do, which everyone put very low. <laughs> There's not a lot of love, apparently, for that version. Maybe if you know, like a lot of games, if you grew up playing that version, you might like it. But I didn't see a lot of love for that one out there. I have started experimenting on YouTube with adding title cards to my videos. This was a suggestion from a friend of mine who said it makes things easier to find on YouTube and stand out. And I even played around a little bit with one of those, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. I guess it's almost a clickbait title. And I said, is Mr. Do just a poor man's dig dub? A lot of people don't think so. (laughs) Based on all the feedback I got. So let me clarify that. I don't personally believe that. I don't believe Mr. Do is a poor man's Dig Dug. I think, really, I think it's better than Dig Dug, to be honest with you. I think there's a lot more gameplay. They're both great games, but Mr. Do is kind of a a one-trick pony. You know, you dig the tunnels, blow up the bad guys. Um, You can experiment with different patterns to... Drop rocks to try to raise your score and things like that, but there's not really that much to it. It's a pretty simple game, and Mr. Do, there's just a lot more layers of complexity to it. So do I think Mr. Do is a poor man's dig-dug? I don't. Uh, but I guarantee I'm going to put a title card on this one that says, Is Dragon's Lair the greatest game of all time? <laughs> the answer will be no. <laughs> so let's move on to find out Who is sitting in the VIP room uh, thanks to answering last week's King of the Castle? On the last episode, we covered Mr. Do. The bad guys in Mr. Do are known as Creeps, and the song that was played, the 8-bit song that was played towards the end of the episode was Creep by Radiohead. Uh, I thought maybe... I knew people would recognize the song, but I thought maybe they wouldn't figure out that connection. I was very wrong. I have had a construction crew in here expanding the size of the VIP room. So sorry about the mess. If you have heard um, uh, construction saws, there's a been hammering. I had to add another wing onto the VIP room this week just for all the VIPs that got in from the last episode. I hope I didn't miss anybody because they were coming in so fast and frequently uh, that I make a list of them, and hopefully I didn't miss anyone. But congratulations to Paul Marfleet, Darren Folds, Bill Spear, Edward Smith, Mitsuyama, Alan Hennessy, Chris Albright, Dave Velociraptor, Adam from Retro Gaming Bygones Podcast, and David Modalak. Oh, and also Roy Jacobs and Steve Sharippa and Joe Sharippa and Zorglub and Ferg from the Twenty Six Hundred Game by Game Podcast and Jason Holland and Sas Punisher and Matthew Perrin and Dave Zilly and Scooter Prime uh, and finally Chris Folds. <laughs> so, if someone here asked you to put on a hard hat or move some lumber around while we were adding onto the VIP room. Uh I apologize because wow, this is probably the biggest response of correct answers that I've ever had. So maybe this week's will be a little bit more difficult. I don't know. I've got to get this room back. You know, I'm I'm really not in the construction business. And it's kinda uh it's getting expensive to put out all the hors d'oeuvres for all the VIPs. So congratulations to everybody that guessed last week's King of the Castle tune. If you would like to participate, all you got to do is listen to the show all the way at the end. You will hear an 8-bit song whose title, theme, artist in some way is connected to the game that we've talked about on the episode. It won't be from the game, but there will be some sort of connection like Creep and the Creeps uh, from Mr. Do. If you figure out that song, shoot me an email at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com and be sure to put King of the Castle uh, I made a rule in a uh, filter in Gmail so that those don't go to the spam folder, and it saved two or three of them this time. So uh, the filter is working. So just be sure to put King of the Castle in the title, and that way I won't miss it. So good luck. I mean, it's a mess. I'm not going to lie. The VIP room is a mess. There are uh, red solo Dixie Cups all over the floor, there's peanut shells. I mean, it was, it looks like they had a good time this week. So congratulations again to all of the Kings of the Castle. Uh, Now let's get into some Commodore news this week. I wanted to mention a new game called Night Night. Uh, The first night is like day versus night, and the second one is like a night with the letter K. This was a MSX homebrew that has recently been ported to the Commodore 64 by Eris Cavalos. Uh, Eris has been doing many conversions of games over to the Commodore 64. This guy is a porting machine, and so if you have heard of Night Night on the MSX or want to check it out, that is now available as a free download for the Commodore 64. Another game that I saw released that I just picked up is Sydney Hunter and the Sacred Tribe. Now, this is an older game that had been previously released, but... Uh, I believe it's Hokuto Force, I think is who did this, re-released the game, and they updated the colors and the graphics, so it, and it has a loading screen, and there's some cheats. So if you haven't picked it up, you could go over to... I get a lot of these from Commodore Scene Database. Just search Google for CSDB, and you can find downloads over there. So, uh, yeah, Sydney Hunter and the Sacred Tribe. It's a, it's a fun little platform game. Uh, I believe it was compared... A little bit to Montezuma's Revenge, I think is what someone compared it to. So it's pretty pretty uh, fun. I just played around with it for a few minutes, and, and I'm looking forward to really digging into it. I wanted to share some news about Ray Carlson's website. Now, if you are into the Commodore 64 scene, if you've ever tried to repair something or align a drive or test a power supply or possibly build a power supply, you have probably run across Ray Carlson's website. His website is chock full of documentation all sorts of pdfs and faqs and documents on how to fix troubleshoot the commodore 64 it is a trove uh, literally a trove of wealthy information for the commodore 64 and recently his website went offline know a lot of people were concerned about ray's health but it doesn't appear that's the case i saw a message on Gosh, don't forget. Maybe it was on Reddit, one of the one of the Commodore forums that said he's been having trouble with his website hosting, and all of the data has been moved. And so the data has been moved to portcommodore.com forward slash r carlson, and that is c a r l s e n. So again, that is portcommodore.com. I assume if you just go there. You can probably find a link, but it is forward slash R, the letter R, and then Carlson, C-A-R-L-S-E-N. And all those documents are online. There, are online, And that's great news because a lot of this stuff, you know, people have scanned in and, and there may not be backups of, of things or posts or whatever. So, uh, again, that's a great resource if you're looking to work on your Commodore 64, troubleshoot it, anything like that. Uh, I saw a video posted by Evie of Backbit, and Evie recently did a review of her new release, which is the Back Sid. It is a replacement that, of the Sid chip. And it has some interesting features in there. There's a lot. If you're into Commodore 64, you may or may not know that there are two different versions of the SID chip. The older one, the original one, and the one that I prefer is a 6581. And then there's a newer one, which is the 8580. I always say 8550, but it's the 8580. And what Eevee has done... In this drop-in replacement, there's a menu that you can pop up. Uh, this is, again, this is a replacement chip designed for vintage original Commodore 64s. You can, um, and, and I should say that a lot of times, I mean, the SID is responsible for all the sound, the music, the three voices, all the great stuff that the Commodore 64 is known for. And sometimes you'll find a used Commodore 64, and it won't have any sound. And it's probably because the SID chip has either gone bad or been stolen (laughs) for another project, either for a project computer or a synthesizer, something like that. So uh, this is a drop-in replacement for the SID chip for a physical Commodore 64. And one of the the neat features that I really enjoyed is you can set it to 6581 mode or you can set it to uh, 8580 mode, Or there is a blend mode, which kind of gets the best of both worlds. So I thought that was really interesting. I have not picked one of these up. I don't need a spare SID chip at the moment. All of my Commodores have working SID chips. But if I get in a position where I need one of those, I will definitely be picking up one of those. So you can find out. uh, Evie has tons of Commodore 64 products, and you can find her stuff at backbit.io. I do have one of her joystick uh, toggles. It is a, a little device that she sold for a while. And I think there's an updated version now where it plugs into both of the Commodore 64 joystick ports. And then there's only one port on the other side. So, you, And then there's a little uh, toggle switch. So you don't have to constantly switch your joystick from port one to port two. You just have to move this little toggle switch. And there's also a setting where it puts input into both switches. So if you leave it there, 99% of the time, uh, you never have to touch it. So she's got some cool stuff over there. Go check out backbit.io. And speaking of websites with cool stuff, Retro Rewind has, they've been doing this for a month, maybe a month and a half now. And I don't know that I've talked about it, but one of the things they've introduced on their website is a capping service. Now, uh, I got my experience with replacing capacitors on arcade systems so that's where i cut my teeth and i found that it's if you're not good at it it's pretty hard (laughs) and it can be a tedious process and all these old electronics from the 80s uh, specifically the 80s sometimes later sometimes earlier but they use these cheap capacitors and when these capacitors go bad bad things can happen to your hardware and so what uh Excuse me. Uh, so what Retro Rewind is doing now is they're offering a service for Commodore computers where you can mail your computer to them, and they will replace all the capacitors. They take all the old ones out. Uh, this is something that you could do yourself. Uh, you know, if you want to do this, first you'd have to find because all capacitors are different. They have different voltage levels, so you have to find all the right capacitors for your computer, and then you have to open up your computer and you have to desolder each one of these one at a time and then put new ones in, make sure they're the right way because they only go one way and then bend the little legs and then re-solder those in. So, for some people, that sounds like a fun Saturday night, Uh, and if you get one of those wrong, you could blow up your computer. (laughs) It's not a fun Saturday night to me. Uh, What I would much rather do is take my hardware and send it to someone that I know has done this before. Uh, I know that for the Amiga CD32, which is kind of known for having bad capacitor problems, it's $54 right now, and Don't forget when you check out uh, of Retro Retro Rewind's website, uh, you can use Sprite Castle as as a checkout code and you can get 10% off to get that price even lower. So if you have old computers either that aren't tested or, you know, I mean, I think of it. If it's a, a, a piece of hardware that I want to keep, I, I think of it as an uh, investment, you know. And so I would take my old Commodore 64. I have a CD32 sitting here that I know has the original caps, and you just take this thing, box it up, and uh, hook up with uh, Retro Rewind on their website and find out. I mean, they've got different uh, uh, things you can select on there for choosing which cap service that you want to get but i know i've looked at the cd32 one and that one's 54 dollars. Uh, but amigas commodore 64s, anything like that so if you have some old hardware and you're worried that maybe the capacitors might be getting old or dry or you've bought uh, an old system and it's gone bad or you maybe you bought it not working that could be the problem so go check out RetroRewind.ca and check out their capping service That's the end of our news. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. You can join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. All Patreon supporters of my shows get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other random additional perks. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Uh, there's more than just me on the Patreon server or on the uh, Discord server and more than just the Amigos. There's multiple channels. There's all kinds of retro gaming stuff going on. Uh, and of course, the ARG Presents podcast is there. Pixel Guide In and the Team Speaker regulars all call that place home as well. So it's a fun place to go hang out. And uh, my minimum support tier is $4 a month, which again is $1 per podcast, basically, because I put out about four shows a month. So Uh, If you want to support my shows but aren't into Patreon, the best thing you can do for me is to share links on social media. I love that. I love seeing the hashtag SpriteCastle or YDKF come out, and and, uh, feel free to tag me. I'm Commodork on Twitter, so uh, that's another great way you can support me. Uh, This episode of Sprite Castle is proudly sponsored by Retro Rewind. For all your Commodore 64 bits, bytes, and accessories, visit Retro Rewind at retro... uh, Ah, oh, man, such a tongue twister. <laughs> RetroRewind.ca, and you can add forward slash SpriteCastle to get that 10% discount on all your orders. And those are this week's headlines, brought to you by my local paperboy, who just got bitten by the neighbor's dog. Whoa, I think I gotta change my shorts. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. Well, you know, I never really know how much of a crossover there is between my two main shows. This show Sprite Castle, which is my Commodore 64 show, and You Don't Know Flack, which is a show where I talk about all kinds of technology, not technology, (laughs) random things, whatever I want to talk about for uh, 30 minutes to an hour to an hour and a half to sometimes two hours, who knows. And on the last episode of You Don't Know Flack, I talked all about breakfast cereals. And that was kind of inspired by this current craze right now of people looking for monster mash cereal and the other uh, Count chocula and frankenberry the other general mills monster cereals and i i did an entire podcast about breakfast cereal and during the show i mentioned the lucky charms marshmallows in a bag now this is a i don't know what what you would even call it like a i don't want to say trendy i think i mean it's (laughs) Goofy's not the right word. I don't know. Uh, But you can order a bag of Lucky Charms marshmallows. You don't get any of the cereal. You just get a bag of marshmallows. Um, They are like freeze-dried, I guess. I mean, they're like dried marshmallows, so they're kind of crunchy. They're so good. Uh, Should you order? I mean, the minimum size bag that I saw for sale is a pound. Do you need a pound of breakfast cereal marshmallows sitting next to you? No, this is a bad idea, but I got to tell you, I did it. (laughs) I spent so much time working on a podcast about breakfast cereals that I did it. I ordered a stupid bag of marshmallows. And so this whole, I've been working on this Dragon's Lair podcast for a few days, and the whole time I've been working... I've been reaching my hand a few at a time and pulling out those little breakfast cereal. And they're not Lucky Charms brand. The ones that I got are like a, a third-party brand, They, but they're still kind of shaped like Lucky Charms, but they have all the colors. And, and you know, I know that you know all the colors, the uh, the pink hearts, the yellow moons, the orange stars, the green clovers the blue diamonds, uh, even the little purple horseshoes, and silver swords that are in there. Now, wait a minute. There's no silver swords in those marshmallows. The silver swords are in Dragon's Lair. Dragon's Lair was published for the Commodore 64 in 1986 by Software Projects. It is a game for one player that uses joystick controls. Let's talk about software projects. Uh, First of all, I know it was a different time, and I've complained about this before. They had no way of knowing that someday there would be an internet. Someday there would be a Google. And people would want to find out about their company, and people would want to look things up. And so they named their company Software Projects. Do you know how difficult it is to Google software projects and find this company? Uh, But I did find, of course, through the normal places, Moby Games and Lemon64, a little bit of history about the company. But the big takeaway is that several of the employees worked for BugBite, and they defected from the company and formed their own company. I guess there was some sort of loophole where they had signed publishing rights for a specific game for a specific system, but it didn't include all systems. And so they began porting games to other systems. And so uh, Matthew Smith was one of the founders. He had just finished writing uh, Manic Miner. Then he teamed up with Alan, I don't know if it's Maton or Maton and Colin Roach. And so these guys formed software projects. Uh, When you look at Moby games of all the games these guys worked on, you will see a lot of, you know, really well-known titles. I saw BC's Quest for Tires. I saw Jet Set Willy. I saw uh, Tribble Trouble. There are a lot of these games that I remember, but when you drill down into it, you'll find that they didn't necessarily write the original version of the game, and they didn't publish the game but they might have ported the game, and only to one system. So, like, I think for BC's Quest for Tires, they only did the port maybe to the ZX Spectrum or something like that. So, um, it, they had an interesting career. They worked on a lot of software titles. All their releases seem to be from uh, the uh, around 82, 83, up through 1987. And I think Dragon's Lair is probably the biggest game that they worked on. Dragon's Lair was a 1983 Laserdisc video game. It was originally published by Cinematronics. Now, in this game, you play Dirk the Daring, who is attempting to rescue Princess Daphne. Uh, Is it Daphne? Yeah, I thought I just said that wrong. From the uh, clutches of the evil dragon singe now dragon slayer is probably most notable for being essentially an interactive cartoon scenes would load from a laser disc and play and the player would be prompted to move the joystick in one of four directions or hit the sword button if your timing wasn't correct it would lead to instant death at that time it was seen as a technical marvel For about six months, it was the top-earning arcade game. It ultimately pulled in around $32 million worth of quarters, which today would be around $83 million. Uh, It was super successful in arcades for six to nine months. Uh, In 2001, it was ranked number seven on the list of the top 50 arcade games of all time. And it was one of three arcade machines along with Pong and Pac-Man that were ultimately archived by the Smithsonian. Now, was Dragon's Lair a perfect game? No. (laughs) Uh, The LaserDisc players that they put in these machines did not last. They weren't designed for these frequent, uh, you know, the head jumping around back and forth on the laser. They were really designed to play a disc from one end to the other. Uh, The gameplay over time, people began to see it for what it was, which it wasn't playing an arcade game. It was almost like um, the handheld version of Simon, (laughs) in which it would tell you, now it's time to move right, and then you had to move right, or now it's time to press the sword button, and then you press the sword button. Uh, A lot of people began to memorize the moves. It was a, a game where people would, once you bought a book that said how to beat Dragon's Lair, and there were several of those around. You could memorize all the moves, and now this was made a little bit more difficult by the fact that some of the screens appeared mirror image, so sometimes you would be doing things to the right, sometimes to the left, but uh, once you've memorized the patterns, there was no challenge at all, and in fact, while researching the show, I found lots of videos on YouTube of people beating the game blindfolded. (laughs) So it's very, very pattern-based, um, and, and the gameplay is not very deep. The problem, though, became what do you do when you have the world's hottest arcade game and you get the rights to publish it to a home system that obviously cannot play that game? There was no 8-bit computer at that time capable of doing anything remotely resembling Dragon's Lair. Nothing was doing streaming video. Nothing had the, the graphics or the the color or the sound capabilities to be able to reproduce Dragon's Lair. And so what they did was essentially create an arcade game, a platform game that was mostly based on the arcade game. I'm trying to be soft here, uh, that played like a traditional computer game. Unfortunately, because the arcade game had such a reputation for being difficult I think they went out of their way to make the platform game also overly difficult. Uh, let's take a look at the box. Now, there were a lot of different... In fact, if you're watching the video version, you'll see that I have two different versions of the box art on the screen at the same time. In the upper left, I have the one that a lot of people remember. It is the uh, uh, the original one from uh, Software Projects, and it has... Just the artwork of Singe, the dragon. He is shooting flames at Dirk, who's hiding behind a rock. And it says Dragon's Lair in the arcade font. So there's nothing on the front of this box that makes you think this game is going to look like anything but the arcade game. And now they really wanted to make that connection, which I think ultimately uh, didn't play in their favor. Now, the version in the United States that I was most familiar with was the Electronic Arts release, and so it was in one of those vinyl-style square flat packages, and you can see that's the other one that I have on the screen right now on the bottom right-hand side. Uh, look, in the bottom right-hand corner, I should say, there is the Electronic Arts logo. You have that same artwork that says Dragon Slayer, but it's off-center. At the top, it says Amazing Software. And then you have the little sticker that you're probably familiar with if you've seen other EA titles that says what computer it's for. Uh, you know, you need a disk drive, you need a joystick, That those sort of requirements. Uh, so that's the version that I am more familiar with, but uh, there were... Uh, other releases. There were cassette releases that was more popular in the UK. There were other uh, boxed editions, depending on which version uh, that you ran into. On the back of the EA box, uh, you have very, well, not super small, I wouldn't, I would almost call them thumbnails (laughs) of the graphics from the game. And there is that little disclaimer that makes me proud as an 8-bit Commodore fan that says uh, all the pictures are from the Commodore 64 version, others may vary, which means you're looking at the best version of this game. Now, I don't know that that's completely true. I, I've, I've looked at other ports of this same game, and uh, a couple of them are pretty close, but uh, the Commodore 64 version, if you're, if you're going to play one version, then this is a, a decent one to play. Uh, there is a a uh note that says this special adaptation shown oh no I'm sorry the special adaptation brings home all the excitement of the trend setting arcade game and gives you even more control over the action now that was a big selling point sometimes you got to take a negative <laughs> and turn it into a positive the negative is that this game did not play like the arcade game. So if people were expecting that, they'd be disappointed. So how do you turn that into a a feature? You say that you have even more control. (laughs) And technically you do. In many of the scenes, you are controlling Dirk the Daring just like a normal sprite-based character running around the screen. So more control. That is a a positive spin on saying, this is not like the arcade game. (laughs) Uh, I could not find a copy of the manual. This is partly due to timing right now. There was a power outage as I was putting this show together in Central California, and the Internet Archive is offline, and that was the only link I could find to a copy of this manual. But uh, in general, I think what the manual probably says is use the joystick uh, up, down, left, right, watch for cues. Uh, Some of the screens are puzzle-type games. The other ones are action Type game, So those levels are kind of interspersed. Uh, but because I couldn't find the manual, I couldn't find anything about the scoring. Although the scoring seems to mostly be uh, anytime that you're not dying, it's slowly going up. <laughs> so I don't really know how one gets a higher or lower score. I think really the goal is just not not to die and the score will keep incrementing. As you load the game... Uh, you get a really cool version of the Dragon's Slayer artwork. It has Singe's Castle. Um, actually, technically, uh, and this is so people don't correct me, but it is uh, Mordrok's Castle, which is something that's brought in through the documentation, and, and we learn later about Mordrok, uh, even though we know that uh, that the dragon is Singe and that the dragon is inside the castle and that number two, it's called Singe's castle. <laughs> so uh, I think, I think it's appropriate to call it Singe's castle. But anyway, if you've seen the arcade game and that opening shot where the castle is tilted at 45 degrees and it's surrounded by some evil looking bramble and it has the dragon's layer logo, that's the picture that you get. Obviously it doesn't look exactly like the arcade version because uh, you know, we have, Limited palette and graphics, but it looks pretty good. It's pretty cool looking. Uh, so we get that as it's loading, and then the game jumps to uh, the menu screen. Now, the menu in the background, you can see a castle wall, and there's a door opening. And uh, when you start the game, Dirk appears right in front of that. Uh, I, along the bottom it says, uh, presented by software projects. And then there are different credits The people that wrote the game and their names appear there for a little while. And, uh, we're told that you can press the space bar for high scores, or you can press the button, uh, to begin the game. Let's flip over here and get the video started. Um, the, uh, once that opens up, we can also see that, um, uh, across the top you'll see the score and you'll see how many men you have available and that so it's that same screen that appears uh, in between the levels every time you die you'll get to see that screen you'll see that screen a lot (laughs) while you're playing actually Um, the game then moves to an opening scroll and it gives you this entire backstory which is a little different than the arcade game so I'll run through it real quick it says long ago in a distant kingdom a good king named athlored ruled a peaceful and prosperous kingdom now his kingdom has many treasures or had many treasures but its greatest was the king's only child whose beauty had become a legend to stir the heart of many a brave knight they came from afar to seek fair daphne's hand in marriage but her heart was given to another dirk the daring the king's champion and most honored knight Then one dark and terrible day came an evil dragon named Singe, who demanded the king hand over all his kingdom to him. When Athlared refused, the dragon seized Fair Daphne, the king's daughter, and imprisoned her inside a crystal ball within the dark and horrible dungeon. Singe then sent Athlared this message. Relinquish your kingdom before the sun sets or your beloved Daphne will perish. Athelred's kingdom was plunged into deep despair, for all loved Daphne, but Dirk, who knew no fear, valiantly vowed that he would free his maiden, or else he would die in the attempt. Finally, it says, Control Dirk's movements as you guide him on his quest to rescue fair Daphne. All Sinja's dark forces are massed against you as you set on your way. Lead on, adventure. Your quest awaits." This is longer than the opening on the arcade game, and I think it gives more information that we need. I don't need to know this king's name. I mean, all you—you know—if you're playing this, you know what you know what the score is. You got to be Dirk the Daring. You got to go save the princess. That's all you need to know. Uh, and this scroll takes like—I don't know—ninety seconds. It's like a lot of words, and it's in a font that's not that easy to read. <laughs> So I got a lot of problems with this scroll. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why they felt they needed it. Uh, when you move to the first level, and I just want to give you an idea of how this game works. Uh, on the first level, if you remember the arcade game, there is a uh a level very early on where dirt jumps onto a platform and it It goes down in threes. It'll go one, two, three, and then you can jump off the platform and continue with the game, or sometimes it'll go down three, and sometimes there's three sets of three. It's all about timing jumping off. It is the easiest level, I think, to beat in Dragon's Lair. This game begins with that same level. The platform is in the middle of the screen, and there is what looks like a, almost like a... um, A plank, like a pirate ship, walk the plank. There's a little plank that bridge maybe that goes out to there, and Dirk is standing on there, and you the first step is to go jump on that platform. I died 17 times just trying to jump on the platform. It's terrible. Uh one of the problems is up, down, left, and right don't really move you up, down, left, and right. Like pressing up kind of moves you diagonal, but not quite not exactly like at a 45 degree. It just moves you at a weird isometric version of, of <laughs> up, it's very strange. And so when you line yourself to, to jump onto the platform and it's to your left, when you push left, you'll kind of jump down and let, I mean, you will fall anytime you touch any edge of the platform, you'll fall. If you try to jump, you in the wrong spot, you'll fall, you'll fall, you'll fall, you fall. Uh, it's so frustrating. Once you get on the platform uh, again, you're, you're moving at this weird isometric angle. As the platform begins to drop, these clouds show up, and they try to blow you with their super cloud breath. They use their wind to blow you off the platform. So you have to stand in the middle of the platform. A cloud will start to appear and blow you, so you have to run towards it because you're running into the wind. If you don't start moving the second that thing appears, he will blow you off the other side of the platform, and then you'll fall, and you'll fall, and you fall. fall. Uh, I played... Probably the first five games, uh, so this would be five men times five games. I'd never beat this level. Uh, I mean, I did eventually, but I mean, the first five times I couldn't get through this. Uh, and, and the game goes on and on like that. Every level is like that or worse. <laughs> I think they really just wanted to try to make this the world's most difficult game. I guess I don't understand what they were doing, but it's very, uh, it's very difficult to play. Now, uh, one of the things I did like is when you die, you get this. If you remember in the arcade game, there was uh, Dirk would stand there with his arms crossed and then it would fade into a skeleton and then he would fall and crumble down, you know. Well, this has a 10 to 15 second animation where dirt turns into bones, the bones fall down to the ground. Then the bones go back up and reassemble into a skeleton, and then your skin reappears and you are dirt once again. And then Dirk stretches his jaw to the left and the right, and he stretches out and he's ready to go. Uh, and then you you um, go back into the game. So imagine on that platform level. You walk out on the platform, you touch the edge, you fall. There's an animation of you falling. Then you're standing there, you turn into bones. The bones fall into a pile. The bones then reassemble into a skeleton. Your skin comes back. Dirk the Daring puts his skin back on. And then you go back to the platform. And then you touch the side and you die. And you fall down the shaft. And then you're standing there and you turn into bones. And the bones fall into the ground. And the body is just over and over and over. I mean, there's no point... Uh when playing this game where I wished it wasn't me turning into bones and falling into a terrible pile and that being the end of it. I did not want to keep playing this game. It was not a level of difficult that made me want to keep trying it. It was the level of difficult that made me want to smash things <laughs> very violently. Uh the controls are pretty simple. You can move Dirk in all eight directions. There's little pictures icons on the box that show a joystick moving all eight directions. Uh, so, uh, you know, when you're running against the wind or doing things like that, you'll, you'll have to, to just run, run, run. Uh, some of the levels that are like... The arcade require very specific timing. Um, the, the second level, I believe, is the hallway. Um, actually, I've got all the, the levels listed here. Level one is the falling platforms. Level two is the skull hallway, which you may remember from the arcade game. Number three is the burning ropes, which is not really like the arcade game. It's almost like a pitfall style thing where you have to jump from rope to rope before the fire uh, finally catches up with you. Uh, Then you've got the weapons room, you've got the ramps and the giddy goons, you have the tentacle room, and then you have to do the platforms again. Then you have the deadly checkerboard, this is against the black knight, and finally you take on the dragon himself. Uh, So you've got all these levels. Some of them are like the arcade version, so like the weapons room or the skull hallway, those play out like the arcade where you have to move the joystick at a specific time. Um, Unfortunately, unlike the arcade game, there's not really a visual to tell you when to move or where to move. So in the skull hallway, when it begins, you'll be standing there and then the skulls come out and then you die. (laughs) So eventually you figure out to move to the middle of the room and then something else comes out and kills you and then you die. And so you just do this over and over and over. But unlike the arcade game, there's a lot of times here where I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know where things were were coming from or what was killing me or what was going to kill me next. So uh, unlike the arcade game, the arcade game, if you don't know the patterns, is very difficult to play through. Um, But this one's even more difficult because... You have no bearings of when to move or what's going to happen. So uh, it's just a really, really hard game. Now, in uh, the late 90s, Go64 magazine published a walkthrough and it's really kind of fun if you could find it uh because it's written uh, in first person and so i enjoyed that where uh it's Dirk the daring and he says then i went into this hallway and there were skulls and i had to move to the middle then i had to move to the back and then i had to use my sword and so you could kind of translate it into um you know, a walkthrough to get you through the game. The walkthrough that I used to play this game was written by someone named Cobra1 who posted it on Game FAQs a long time ago, which has uh, been absorbed now by, I guess, GameSpot owns that. But you can still find that. And and he has specific instructions on how to beat this game if you are so inclined. Like if you have nothing better to do in October, (laughs) then here you go. Uh, again, I, I wasn't too sure on how the score worked. It just seemed like like on the platform. Uh, as long as I wasn't dying, the score was going up. I did watch a walkthrough or a playthrough on YouTube, and it looks like you get a thousand bonus points for killing the dragon at the end of the game. The high scores that I found online, uh, the the highest score I found was two thousand one hundred and seventy eight, and then the next highest score was one thousand. Uh, 800, I think so, which makes me think that only the top player killed the dragon because you get that thousand bonus points. So, uh, that, that, that checks out. Now I want to talk a little bit about this, uh, Dirk, the daring slash dragon's lair movie. There's been a lot of talk about making a dragon's lair movie over the years. If you remember in the eighties, there was a Dragon Slayer Saturday morning cartoon. It ran for one season. I don't, I think there's a dozen or so episodes, maybe 13, 16, something like that. But uh, it's uh, a goofy, it was part of the uh, Saturday morning. What was that? The Supercade, the arcade uh, cartoons with q and and Pole Position and those other cartoons. And it's not bad. I mean, it's not great. It's just a dopey Saturday morning cartoon. But over the years, There has been talk multiple times of bringing back uh, Dragon's Lair as a feature-length animated film. You know, uh, Don Bluth, the guy who did all the original animation, has wanted to do this for a long time. And they've never been able to do it. In 2015, they launched a Kickstarter where they tried to get the money. And they were trying to raise uh, $500,000. And this was just to make a sizzle reel to um, have something to send out to investors and try to get a full animated film made. But animated films are really, really expensive to make, uh, especially if you're trying to do the traditional hand-drawn animation. And they were not successful in raising enough money. They got a little over halfway. I think they got about $250,000. So the Kickstarter was not successful. So it seemed like that was kind of the end of a Dragon's Lair movie. And then in 2020, last year, Netflix announced that they will be making a Dragon's Lair movie starring Ryan Reynolds. And Ryan Reynolds is part of the project. He's one of the people that's pushing this project. Now, I have seen this referred to as a Netflix series series. I've also seen it referred to as a Netflix movie, so I don't know which it's going to be. I searched right before I recorded this episode to find any news that it has been canceled, and I haven't found any hints that it's been canceled. So as far as I know, that is still in the works. Now, it whenever I see these retro kind of things like that, it just makes me wonder who the the audience is for that? I don't know. I mean, I'll watch it, of course, you know, and then if you're listening to this, you'll probably watch Dragon's Lair thing on Netflix, but uh, is there enough support to be able to do that? I just don't know. Uh, I read some different reviews from Dragon's Lair, and the reviews are from the middle of the road and down. <laughs> the ones that are in the middle of the road and this is a point that I was going to make later, but I'll make it now, are people that weren't expecting this to be the arcade version of Dragon's Lair on your home computer, which is silly if you think about it. Uh, If you thought that, that the Commodore 64, the ZX Spectrum could play something that looked like the arcade version, you were going into this and would be disappointed. So the negative reviews mostly said that. The Middle of the Road said, you know, if you think of this not as Dirk the Daring, but if you think of it more as, you know, Joe the Medieval Guy (laughs) playing a game, uh, that takes a little bit of the sting off it. But what it doesn't do is make a lot of the gameplay better. It's still a really hard game to play. It's it's very difficult. It's uh, it's hard. And so that's the part that a lot of those reviews, even the ones that gave it a fair chance, said that it was a little difficult to play. Uh, I mentioned a couple of the uh, ports. This version of Dragon's Lair was on uh, the Amstrad CPC, it was on the Coleco Atom, and the ZX Spectrum, along with the Commodore 64. So other versions, like the one that's on the NES, those are a different game. This particular game is only on these four systems. Now, I did find an interesting uh, update to some news that came out a few years ago, and this was for a version of this game of Dragon's Lair called DL 64 FMV. And that stands for full motion video. There was a guy. I say was, there is a guy who was attempting to turn this, the original arcade version of Dragon's Lair into something playable on the Commodore 64 and it's out there you can download it and you can check it out now is this going to run on a bare stock Commodore 64 no Uh, at a minimum you're going to need a 16 meg REU that's a ram expansion unit so either you have a piece of hardware or If you have something like the Commodore 64 with a 1541 Ultimate, or if you have a Ultimate C64, those uh, have an REU system built in that you can use, or you can use an emulator, and it can also do the REU. But what they've done is every level. So the REU, I should say this, uh, is this big chunk of RAM where you could put 16 meg of something in that. And so they were popular with BBS users because, or BBS sysops because you could put your system in RAM and it ran much faster than having to load new disk access all the time. Uh, so there were definitely uses for it, but a lot of them were application-based. There weren't a lot of games uh, that used it but uh the uh, this what this guy has done is taken every level of the arcade version and compressed it to where it will fit in this 16 meg reu attachment that doesn't mean the whole game fits in it that means one level fits in it at a time and it takes with the the ultimate the c64 ultimate or ultimate 64 it takes I don't know, five to seven seconds to load in a new scene. So um, now you're getting streaming video that looks like the arcade game, except it's in 320 by 200 resolution and it's at 16 colors. So it's not perfect, but it's definitely recognizable as the video of Dragon Slayer. And in the first scene, Dirk the Daring walks up, falls through the hole in the bridge. You see the tentacles come up. (laughs) Which is what they sound like. And he swords them and pulls himself up and runs into the castle. The drawbridge or the uh, portcullis falls down and you hear dun, 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 dun. And then it says, please switch to REU file number two or whatever. And there are, I think, I don't even want to say dozens, I think hundreds of these files. And then you switch to number two, and then you're in the next scene and it does something, and then it says, you know go to number three. So it's not a smooth playing experience, but it's very interesting. And if there's a way they could figure out how to get the program to auto load those as needed, it would be great if it could preload them, but I don't think there's enough RAM available to do that. But uh, it's very, very interesting to see that. And of course, uh, we'll talk about this a minute in my memories, but, uh, you know, the thought of playing anything remotely resembling the arcade version of Dragon's Lair on a Commodore 64 is nothing that I would have ever thought was possible. If you'd like to own this for your Commodore 64, there is a copy right now on eBay. This is the Electronic Arts release, the one that I remembered. Again, it's the record-style packaging, the flat packages, for $50 uh, for if you... Want the cassette version, you can find those a little less expensive. They're in the $20 to $30 range. Uh, there were two Dragonslayer games released. There was Dragon Slayer and then there was Dragon Slayer 2 Escape from Sinja's Castle. And then there is a third release that has both of those games in the same package, and each game is on one side of the disc. So uh Dragon's 1 is on the front of the floppy. Dragon's Lair Two is on the backside of the floppy, so uh, you can. If you're going to buy one, that's probably the one to buy to get both copies of the game. Uh, and now, we're going to get into my personal memories of Dragon's Lair. <laughs> remember the exact spot i was standing when i first saw dragon's lair in the arcade and i don't mean i remember the first arcade i mean if i were to go to this arcade if it was still open i could probably find the square patch of carpet i was standing on i think everybody who saw dragon's lair if you were of the right age and you walked into an arcade it was mind-blowing There have been a few video game things like that over the years. I think a lot of people that saw them, if you're a little bit younger, the first time you saw Super Mario Brothers uh, on the Nintendo 64, Super Mario 64, uh, you may have had that same feeling. When I saw Dragon's Lair, you have to imagine in 1983, I mean, arcades had, you know, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., things like that. So to walk in and see Dragon's Lair playing on an arcade Uh, cabinet was absolutely mind-blowing. Many Dragon's Lair cabinets had a second monitor that mounted on top. I I guess this was something... So many people have mentioned this. Ours definitely had that. So many people have mentioned that that it must have been pretty common. Uh, And that was because so many people would crowd around the machine that with the second monitor on top, you could stand further back and still see the gameplay. Uh, It's just hard to explain how exciting and how many people would gather around to watch that game so it seemed impossible to me that anything resembling Dragon's Lair could ever make it to any home computer um, not just the Commodore 64 but you know any computer if you looked at like today you would say well you can't do it on the Commodore but you could do it on a PC well at the time the PC didn't play games as good as the Commodore <laughs> so I just had no um, concept that that would ever happen Uh, there was a kid at my school named john who was known for telling tall tales and stretching the truth and john also had a commodore 64 and i remember we were on the playground when i was not a playground it was like a an outside uh i don't know like a foyer kind of thing that went to the outside this is like seventh and eighth grade so we're you know too old to be on a playground but uh they still wanted us to get outside and get some fresh air anyway uh this guy john had a Commodore 64 and he was we were talking about games and he said out of the blue that he had a copy of dragon's lair and we were like no you don't they they could never make dragon's lair and he says "Uh uh-huh i do and it's a hundred floppies <laughs> both sides, I think. And, you know, at the time I remember like he wasn't a good fibber. Like a, I, <laughs> it's hard to explain, but I remember saying at the time, John, a box of blank discs is $10. So you paid a hundred dollars for this game just in blank floppies. Plus, I mean, did you download it? What did it take? Six months. I mean, it was was a ridiculous story, you know, but that was the kind of thing that people dreamed about is that someday, you know, there would be something, a Dragon's Lair that you would be able to, to play at home. Um, So when it was finally announced that they were releasing Dragon's Lair for the Commodore 64, and when I got it, I felt like, I was like, this is the future. I can't believe it. I can't believe they did it. And I remember just being so disappointed <laughs> when I played that game. Now, I did play this game a lot as a kid, but it, it was never it never seemed like Dragon's Lair to me. You know, I, I mean, I had played the arcade version, you know, and the arcade version kind of came and went, too. You know, I mean, in 83, it was a big deal. In 84, I mean, by the end of 84, it was gone. Like when you went to the arcade in, in 85, my arcade, it was gone. So uh, you just kind of had these memories. I mean, it would pop up in different places here and there, but um, you know, it wasn't like every arcade had, had one because they were so expensive. And even when you did have one, there might be somebody playing it the entire time and you wouldn't even get a chance to play it. So uh, wanting to have that home Dragon's Lair experience, I never really got that from the Commodore 64 version. Now, uh, I will say that uh, I think one of the problems with this game on the Commodore is that by calling it Dragon's Lair, they limited what they could do with the game. In other words, you know what scenes you have to have. If this is Dragon's Lair you're going to have to have a scene where Dirk is swinging from flaming ropes. And so now you've got to figure out how do you translate that scene into something you could do on the Commodore 64. If they had gone in and just said, Hey, let's make it, you know, medieval Joe and, and make something that where you have to go through all these rooms in a castle. I think they could have made a much better game, you know, but you wanted to have, I mean, just by having the arcade artwork on the front of the box and the name dragon's layer, I'm sure that's sold you know, thousands of copies. So they had to, you know, relate it back to the arcade game. But uh, um, I don't know. As a platform game, it's hard, but it's okay. But as a port of Dragon's Lair, it's just not very good. Now, my buddy Justin eventually sold his Commodore 64. uh, This was later in high school and bought an Amiga. He had an Amiga 1000, And I went over and he said, check this out. And he loaded up Dragon's Lair. Now, one of the things, if you've ever used an Amiga on real hardware, uh, and I don't mean this uh, really as a negative, but the uh, floppy drive was just obnoxiously loud. It would just sound like it was grinding all the time. So you never forgot that you were playing something off of a floppy drive especially something that accessed it a lot. And I remember there was a lot of disks swapping. I don't remember how many disks the Amiga version came on. But when I saw that, at that time, I was like, they did it. <laughs> I can't believe they did it. They made an arcade version of Dragon's Slayer on a home computer. I could not believe it. Now, if you go back and look at it today, I mean, I first of all, you have to be... If you're from that era, like I am, I love that pixel style graphics. And so when you look at the backgrounds in the Amiga version of Dragon's Lair, I love it. I just love the style, the whole drawing style. And you've got this bitmap kind of guy that's drawn animated over the top of it. And they used all these uh, sound samples that sound like Amiga digitized sound samples because they're just really compressed. But they are from the arcade game. And boy, did it just create that illusion. Now, we knew it wasn't identical to the arcade game, but it was seemed pretty close. Um, but years later, I don't know, this is probably the late 90s, I was in a Half Price Books, which is a bookstore chain that also has uh, records and some other things of entertainment. And they always have a small area of computer software. I ran across a copy of Dragon's Lair for the PC, for i think ten dollars and so i ended up buying that and it wasn't perfect but it was pretty dang good it was better than that amiga version I, you could tell the video had been compressed and it was on cd but it was pretty good and i played that for a while and then later i got that version that you could play on your home DVD player. Remember that? <laughs> they had versions that you could buy of Dragon's Lair and Space Ace that you could play on your DVD player with the remote. You could press left, right, up, down. And if you thought the arcade game had lag, wait till you play it on your home DVD player with your TV remote. That was even worse. But, uh, but it, of course, it looked amazing. And all I wanted to do was to watch the whole movie from beginning to end. That was enough nostalgia for me. I think, The takeaway of Dragon's Lair for me, there are two. Number one is no matter what you think about current technology, don't ever think, hey, they won't be able to do this because someday they will. I had that lesson when I worked at Best Buy many years ago in the 90s, and I remember the size of hard drives at that time uh, being measured in megabytes, and there were 270 megabyte hard drives and 350 megabytes and 420 megabytes. And I remember at one point saying someday they're going to make a hard drive with a thousand megabytes. And people said, no, no, no. And then it came out the gig hard drive. And uh, I've I've talked about it. We sold them for a thousand dollars. I used my employee discount. I paid almost 600 to get a one gig hard drive at the time, but never limit yourself by saying this will never happen because give it enough time and it will happen. I mean, if you looked at the, those old Nokia cell phones, and you compared it to an iPhone or a modern Android phone or something, you wouldn't believe, uh, you know, that that was possible. So uh, seeing that people are still working on getting a full motion video version of Dragon's Lair to play on the Commodore 64 at that time as a kid, I never would have believed that was possible. And now when I see it, I'm just constantly reminded that computers, that they're always doing new and amazing things with computers. Uh, I never thought I would see the arcade version of Dragon Slayer be able to play it on my PC, and now I can. Uh, so that's one takeaway. And the other takeaway, and this goes back to this, the Commodore 64 version, but I kind of think of it as a little bit like Frankenstein's monster. And I just wrote down this, this note that said, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. <laughs> so, you know, I'm sure they thought, well, we we can do a port of of Dragon's Lair, and we could do some other stuff, but I just I just don't know that they should do that. <laughs> For graphics, I give Dragon's Lair three out of five. The graphics are okay, but aren't great. For music, I give it four out of five. The music is actually pretty darn good. Uh, The sound effects, I give it three out of five. They're not great, but they're not terrible. Overall, I give Dragon's Lair three out of five. It's playable game, it's difficult. There's a lot better stuff to spend your time on on the Commodore 64. Unless you're a big fan of Dragon's Lair, this is one that you can probably skip. Unless you're bored, then give it a spin. Thanks again for tuning into Sprite Castle. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hare at RoboHare.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. If you would like to support my podcast, check out Patreon. All patrons get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other random perks. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. And don't forget, this episode of Sprite Castle is proudly sponsored by Retro Rewind. For all your Commodore bits, bytes, and accessories, visit Retro Rewind at retrorewind.ca forward slash sprite castle for a 10% discount on all orders. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com, and through the official podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash amigos podcast. To hear more podcasts from me, like You Don't Know Flat, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness, visit podcast.robohara.com for links to these shows. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, Vintage is the New Old, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. I also want to give a special shout-out to Cobra1, who wrote the Dragon's Lair walkthrough on game FAQs that I used to get through this game. Speaking of shout-outs, I'd like to give a shout-out now to all my Patreon supporters. That includes Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restle, Brian Barr, Carrie Clanton, Chris Albright, who is a new supporter. Welcome, Chris. Chris Folds, c Dubs, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Dave Velociraptor, David Chambers, David Hearn, David Modalak, Eric Strainisi, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Graham Vebke, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warrens, John Bodicart Schaller, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Mike McLaughlin. Mitsuyama, mister Bundy, Mr Wacky, Nathan Dagenhart, Olaf Hope, Patrick Markey, another new supporter this week, Rad Max, Right and Christopher Bow, Retro Trace, Rick Reynolds, Roy Jacobs, Scooter Prime, Scott Lambert, Scrap Arcade, Steven Burt, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Zeke Pabsky, Zerfall, and the mysterious Cobra Kai. Extra special thanks to all my 16-bit supporters. That would be Bill Spear, Boar's Head Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Dave Zilly, Edward Smith, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson, Matt Smith, Scott Van Dracic, Steve Sharippa, and Vintage Vols. Thank you guys for supporting the show. If it weren't for these Patreon supporters, there would not be a Sprite Castle or You Don't Know Flat. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to saving princesses, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle.